Good morning. I guess I am not going to hear any responses. It's been a while since I've preached before you all, and this is the first time in a long time that I've been preaching to a camera or a series of cameras, as it may be. Uh, Pastor Steve mentioned this morning that uh, I had a bit of a mishap a little while ago, so I guess I should probably explain that to you. Uh, About five weeks ago, I was going home for lunch to clear my driveway, to uh, just make sure that I could park my car that night after after another amount of snow had fallen. And I was just walking back to my car and my leg flew out from under me based on some ice and my other leg, well, it took all my weight and now my knee is not working very well. At least now it's holding up some of my weight, so I'm able to stand. It's a good thing. Thank you, everyone, for praying for me in this time. And I want to thank those of you who've helped me out in a lot of different ways as I was uh, even more set in my house inside, um, which is kind of a strange thing because I actually kind of enjoy being alone in my house. Um, That was one of the things I've noticed about myself for a long time. yeah, though, though I think this was more than I wanted. More time alone than I wanted, more time away from people than I wanted, more time, uh, more time alone, more time isolated. And I think most, many of you know what that feels like. It's been now six weeks since we were locked down here in St. John's. Um, there's things now moving a little bit better. You can get out of your house, you can go places but it's still been a while. And I, I, I think it can be kind of depressing, especially for people like myself. I come from a long line of pessimists, uh, or as we like to call ourselves, realists. People who see the world uh, constantly as glasses half empty. Everything a little bit dark. Because you know, hey, the world is pretty hard. Things are difficult. Things are, well, (laughs) things don't always go well. And so as a result, um, uh, I tend to see things as negative. And I call that reality, and that's why I call myself a realist. I say that things are bad and that's reality. And so uh, being a realist, I focus on reality. And the problem that I face in that is the text of scripture for today, which is uh, Joel chapter two, verses 28 to 32. If, you're, uh, if you have a Bible there, wherever you are, it'd be good to open it and to look at this. You may recognize the text from some other places. And it goes like this. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I, referring to God, will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. 
even on the male and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Now if you've been following along with me uh, I've been going through the minor prophets. Uh, Minor prophets are not usually the most uplifting books of the Bible because they talk an awful lot about the sin and the difficulties, and the wrath of God that's resting on the people of Israel during their time. It's not usually seen as an uplifting book. And so it's easy to imagine that what's normal for the minor prophets is something negative. It's the wrath of God. It's the judgment of God on sin and on negativity and on all of the ways in which the people of Israel have turned away from God. They seem like pessimists, we think. Or maybe realists. But you see, that's the problem. We imagine that our experience, what we feel as normal, what we experience as normal, is reality. And this text that Joel uses and that Peter will use much later in Acts chapter 2 tells us the actual exact opposite. The last time I spoke before you, I told you that God is good. I explained how the texts before this, verses 1 to 27 in chapter 2 of Joel, talks about the goodness of God and how God is good and merciful and just And I think sometimes we don't actually have a problem with that as Christians, especially here in the West. Nobody has a problem with a good God. We have a God that, a God who, you know, we would love to have a God who feels with us, who's compassionate, who's good, who is in favor of good stuff and opposed to bad stuff. But what we have problems with is imagining that that God has the power to do anything about his goodness. That's why we have a problem with God's wrath. That's why we have a problem, oftentimes, with God generally. A friend of mine at the office is reading through a very terrible book right now called God Can't. And one of the things that it's talking about, it's just rehashing the same old position that I read many, many years ago in the 1960s. Well, I didn't read it in the 1960s. It was written in the 1960s. I'm not that old, goodness. But Rabbi Harold Kushner had this idea that why, good thing, why bad things happen to good people is because God doesn't have the power to stop it. God has no, no ability over evil or over problems, that God doesn't reign over everything. He merely responds to stuff. And that accords well with what we think is normal, with what we experience in the world. After all, there's so much bad stuff that happens. 
I mean, we talk about COVID, that's a bad thing. We get, uh, I, I, I didn't do anything, I don't think, to deserve getting my knee uh, knocked out from under me and have to stay at home for five weeks. Most people will, not, will say that negative things shouldn't have happened. And that's to, not to say the real evils that are happening in the world, like genocides of the Uyghurs in China, um, subjugation of our brothers and sisters in Christ in North Africa and the Middle East. Evil stuff happens. And so it's normal for us to imagine that. And so we think that that's the reality. And so because of that reality, we imagine that we can understand God through the lens of our experiences and that will give us a full understanding of who God is. And the thing that Joel is saying That is not the case, brothers and sisters. Because not only is God good, God reigns. Let me say that again. Not only is God good, God reigns. He rules. He is over all things. He has not let this world spin around without any Without any guidance, he knows what he's doing. But that doesn't seem normal. And this is why we see this passage here in Joel chapter 2. God takes the moment, the time that Joel is going through. He, he, Joel has gone through all of the negatives that the world is going to face, all of the negatives that the people of Israel are going to face. He's then said that God will save them. And then it's always tempting to imagine, yeah, right, Joel, there's no way God can redeem this situation. And Joel then uses, sees this vision. And God, through Joel, tells the people of Israel, wait a second, guys. I reign. God reigns over this. But that's not the way we see things. In fact, this is not a new uh, thing we've seen. Uh, C.S. Lewis, in the first of his screw tape letters, has this experience. This is basically, if you know the story, it's a series of letters written from a senior devil to a junior devil. And so this is a demon talking about how he, avo- he causes people to avoid seeing the truth of who God is. And there was this one person he's talking about who used to be, who was an atheist and who was sitting in a library room and then started to think and started to understand the depth of reality, understand what, the, what he was reading and what this might have meant for the existence of God. And he's getting into a, 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 a line of thought that seems to be pointing towards God. And then this senior tempter does this. He, may, he says, you should go for lunch. And the man goes for lunch, and then it continues like this. Once he was on the street, the battle was won. I showed him a newsboy shouting the midday paper and a number 73 bus going past, and before he reached the bottom of the steps, I got him into an unalterable conviction that whatever odd ideas might come into a man's head when he was shut up alone with his books, a healthy dose of real life by which he meant the bus and the newsboy, was enough to show him that all that sort of thing just couldn't be true. 
He knew he'd had narrow escape, and in later years was fond of talking about how that inarticulate sense for actuality, which is our ultimate safeguard against the aberrations of mere logic. He is now safe in our Father's house. <laughs> you see, we like to imagine that our, our experiences are more real than the truths we read in places, than especially the truths we see in Scripture. That's just not true. We in our culture like to imagine that our experience will lead us to all truth. And yes, I can't question your experiences. But let's face it, we can reinterpret our experiences and sometimes the way we interpret our experiences are wrong. Newsboys don't tell us that there is no God. Neither do number 73 buses. And honestly, the experience we have of evil in this median age, this immediate position that we're in, doesn't tell us anything about God's sovereignty. Rather, it just tells us about the situation we're in right now. Because ultimately, God reigns. And so there are three points today. Uh, again, I am a Baptist pastor, so I have to stick to three points. I hear that's in the rule book, so I'm told that. The three points are going to be simple. God's people will reflect God's glory because he reigns. Nature will reflect God's glory because God reigns. And finally, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved because God reigns. And that's actually pretty directly from the text. Point one you can see here in Joel chapter 2 verses 28 and 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit. Now we, we, we can get some really weird ideas about what that text says not the least of which is because it's the text that Peter uses to uh, start off his sermon in Acts chapter two. We imagine that this is about uh, you know, miracles that we will be able to do, but get, grasp what's happening in the situation here. Grasp what Joel is telling the people of Israel. There will come a day when God's Holy Spirit, when the Spirit of God itself will be poured out on all flesh. When you think that you have all, uh, had the greatest experience of God that could ever happen, God is saying, no, there will come a day when I will pour my, my, my spirit out on all flesh and people will see me. You will see visions. You will dream dreams. You will understand who I am because my people will reflect my glory. 
And, that, and that's a good thing to understand because when we say that the Holy Spirit is on someone, we don't mean that they gain magic powers. We mean that the, whole, that the person is fully reflecting who God is because that's what it is to have the Holy Spirit on you. The Holy Spirit of God is the third person of the Trinity. We're talking about God being on his people, on the people having experiences directly from God because God has put it on them. But this isn't necessarily now. It is something that God will do. It's a gift that God gave at Pentecost. And uh, Peter, again, like I said, uses the phrases this way. And he says, in the last days it shall be, God declares. There are a few little differences you'll notice between what's said in Acts and what's said in uh, Joel. Uh, Sometimes preachers put uh, things into the text of Scripture to explain the text of Scripture, and Peter does that in Acts chapter 2. That I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your friends, sons, and daughters shall prophesy. And you'll hear the same text being said. But the point here isn't that this is an amazing thing that we need to be focused on, how God is able to give magical powers to us, it's to show us that God truly and rightly does still reign. God still is in control. God still is here. We think that it's a normal day. We think that today is just going to be the same as yesterday and the day before and the day before that. And I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, that's not necessarily true because God reigns ultimately. There will come a day when things will change, when things will be different than they are now, when even we will be different than we are now. When what has been sown as corruptible shall be reaped incorruptible. When we will see the Spirit of God working in our lives completely. And God gives little inklings of this, signs of this throughout history. That's what we record a lot of times in scripture. People seem to misunderstand scripture and imagine that it's, you know, just one long story of a whole bunch of magic things that God is happening. There are an awful lot of empty spaces in scripture too. We're talking about a text that covers 3,000 years at least depending on how you're going to date the age of the earth from Genesis. But it's thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And these, the, what we see in scripture is the times that God expresses himself and shows himself and reminds humanity, hold on a second, I'm here and I reign. Joel is using this as an example to explain to the people of Israel why they need to understand that God's goodness will win through despite the fact of the situation they are in. In Peter's time in Acts, the people around him are saying, these guys are totally drunk. They don't understand what's going on. There's nothing happening. There's no way that this Jesus person could be important. And Peter is saying, wait a second, God still reigns. Don't underestimate the God we serve. And I think we know of times in our lives when God has done similar things, when we've had experiences that God has given us to express that he's true. But let's face it, these are not the normal. 
If they were the normal, we would, simp- we would not need these reminders. Yet God gives them so that we would know that there is a reality deeper than the reality that we generally experience day to day. And that reality is his goodness. And that goodness shall, will mean that we as his people, by his Holy Spirit, will reflect his glory. Not because we're awesome, but because God reigns. God's reign is true in God's people, and that includes you and me. Not merely the Jews, either in Joel's time, Jesus' time, or even our time. The people, we'll get to this in a little bit when we get to the tail end of this passage in Joel, but just for a little bit of a spoiler alert here, being God's people doesn't just mean that the promises are for some overarching group of people and a nation like Israel. It means that this, it's for God's people individually. Your daughters and your sons, your old men, the people who will see visions and hear, hear, hear God speak. It's for everyone. It's for you individually. When God says that he will do good, that he will be good, that he will show himself as good, he will show himself as good in our lives. Not some nebulous uh, organization, not necessarily just some institution known as the church, but the church, the people of God. If you are in Jesus Christ, you. The people of God will reflect God's glory because God reigns. But that's not all. God doesn't merely reign over people, and he doesn't merely reign over the people who choose to have faith in Jesus, if that's actually really a thing. God reigns over nature, and that's why nature will reflect God's glory. Look at verses 31 and 30, 30 and 31. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Now, that sounds like a negative thing. It really does. You know, it doesn't sound nice to have the sun turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Those are not positive images, usually, at least in our understanding. This sounds like the beginning of a horror movie in some cases. But it says here in Joel, before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Um, Peter is a little bit more exact, and since Peter is also speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it, it, we should probably understand this, this understanding. It says, the great and magnificent day of the Lord in Acts. Think about it. There's a God who rules over nature itself, who rules over the nature that we see every day, who uh, I was joking with some of the guys at the office this week. Uh, they, uh, there's, we have a guy who's from Australia or who lived in Australia for a long time and we joked that why, are, why is Australian culture the way it is? Because Australia is trying to kill you. And that's actually true. <laughs> But I mean, I would go further. It, it's one of the reasons why I, I, I like living in Newfoundland, Canada. 
Uh, we live on an ocean where we're never under any illusion as to how much the ocean loves us. The ocean is actually trying to kill us. You just go out onto the shores and watch as waves crash on the sides of things in weight and size and power that could destroy almost anything we could imagine. Nature is big and powerful and mighty and it can do great things. And you know, when tides are happening, it's because the moon is moving in certain ways. Because the reason we have the heats that we do and the winds that we do, and in Newfoundland, baby, do we get winds, is because of the sun. And what this text says is that God is yet sovereign over the sun and the moon. There is not, uh, the old theological, theological trope goes, there is not one maverick molecule in all of creation. The word of God says that Jesus upholds the world by the word of his power. So it, it, just in case you don't grasp what that means, it means that the world exists because God determines that it will. He says day by day, be, and the world is. That may not always be the case because God reigns over nature. He reigns over his people and he reigns over nature. And this is something we've seen a bunch of times in scripture, haven't we? What, what did that happen in the Gospels? You remember that time when Jesus is in a boat asleep, storm comes up, and these seasoned fishermen, seasoned fishermen on the Lake of Galilee, they know what the Lake of Galilee can do. They know that the ocean can try to kill you. They know that the, the strength of winds and things, and they, they come to Jesus, they're terrified, and they tell him, Jesus, do you not care that we're perishing? And Jesus says, ye of little faith. And then he speaks to the wind and the waves, saying, silent, be still. And they are. And don't miss what the, what the disciples say at that point. They don't say, wow, this is super awesome. Jesus can do amazing stuff. They ask, who then is this that the wind and the waves obey him? This is the God we serve. The God we serve reigns over nature itself. When you, when you look at the signs of Jesus' death in the Gospel of Matthew, you'll, you'll see places where, uh, uh, you know, curtains are torn from top to bottom. The dead rise and walk around and are seen by other people. We're talking about a God that is much larger than a tribal deity. We're talking about a God that is much larger than some, something that rules merely in our hearts, that merely, uh, that merely can give us a good feeling from time to time. We're talking about the God who reigns over nature itself. All of the things that we imagine, and, and do you know what we call people who believe that the world is just material and that you know, everything that we can understand is materialistic? We also call them naturalistic. 
the world is determined by all of the things we see in nature. That's what's normal. Well, God reigns over that normal. Nature is God's creature. Friends, let us not underestimate the God we serve. Do you think that God cannot fulfill his promises? God doesn't merely reign over his people. He reigns over the place his people live, which is this universe. And that's important because there is verse 32 of Joel chapter two. Because let's understand what the promise is. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I'm sorry for reading that like William Shatner. But let's face it. We do need to think about this. We do need to understand this. The God that I'm talking about, the God who pours out his spirit on all flesh, who can give us the understanding of who he is by placing his spirit upon us and which can lead us into all truth as the word says, this God, this God who can darken the sun, who can turn the moon to blood and the sun and the moon pretty much determine most of the weather patterns we have on earth. God controls them both. He controls far more than that, if you look through scripture, but we'll just stick with what Joel says for the moment. This is the God who promises that if anyone calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. Friends, this is not an impotent promise. When God says that he will be good to his people, he is not blowing smoke. He is not giving a hope upon hope that maybe someday I'll be able to show goodness to my people. He is stating a fact of reality. Remember, this is the God who he says something it is. We humans sometimes talk back to God. We humans imagine that we can second guess God. Nature doesn't think that. Nature does what God says because he's God. God reigns and God reigns in such a way as our sin, well, will be dealt with. He reigns in such a way that his promises, all of his good promises, will be yes and amen as they are in Christ Jesus. And this is the way that Joel is reasoning. And this is just the second half of verse 32. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. You see, the people of Israel at the time of Joel would be tempted to imagine, well, Joel, yes, these are really great things and we'll put this in our books and we'll, we'll read it to try and get some comfort from it, understanding that maybe, maybe in some hope of hopes that maybe God could do some nice things to us possibly and maybe we will survive. And Joel is saying, no, understand the God I'm talking about here. Understand the one making the promises here. 
because all of these promises are true, because there will come a day when your daughters shall dream dreams and your sons shall see visions, because of that, because of the fact that there will come a day when people will call on the name of the Lord and they will all be saved, if they do, because of that, we know that some of the people of Israel will survive this time that we are facing people of Israel at the time of Joel. Because we know who God is. Because we know what reality is. And reality isn't our experience right now of pain and suffering and horror and difficulty. Reality is God is good and he reigns. This isn't an empty hope. It's not just a kind of faith that we try to push back the darkness with. It's the understanding, rock solid belief, understanding, knowledge that the darkness ain't got nothing on God. That the problems we face are minor compared to the power of God, that this light momentary affliction is not worth comparing to the glory set next to Jesus Christ. The reality is, as the old hymn goes, this is my father's world. If I'm in Christ, he is my father, as his promises say, and this is his world. As the hymn that we sang this morning says, There will come a day when the clouds will be rolled back as a scroll, and Lord haste that day, when my faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. Why? Because God is good and God reigns. We can trust God because God reigns. We know that his promises are true because God reigns. We know that his goodness is ultimate because God reigns. He is not impotent. He is not unable to deal with evil and sin. But what, th- those are high words. Those are big words. Those are, those are great big concepts. What does this mean for us right now? A lot of things. Right now that we as believers, some of us are having uh, things that God is telling us to do, sins that we need to f- wage war against, uh, things we need to be saying to other people, things we need to be doing for other people, ways we need to be lo- loving our neighbors. And we're scared because it's going to be difficult and we're going to have to face trials and problems because of it. And we don't know if God can work this out. God reigns. Obey him because he reigns. He's got this. Some of us are dealing with problems. We're facing difficulties that we have no control over. Nothing can actu- that we can do. And yet, we, we, we're so tempted to then fall into despair and walk away from God. Trust him, he reigns. He's good and he reigns. 
This is why we as brothers and sisters need to be preaching to ourselves, looking into the word of God, praying, seeking him. Because he's good and he reigns. And this is why we need to be a people who praise God. Praise God with everything that we are, everything that we we say, everything that we do. And yes, even with the songs we sing today. Because God is good and God reigns. Brothers and sisters, God is good and he reigns. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, it is so very easy for us to not see you, to not hear you when you're speaking, and to imagine that because our normal everyday life doesn't always match what we expect, Lord God, it's easy for us to ignore you and think that you don't know, you don't understand, but you do. Lord God, let us take what you say in Joel, let us understand it deeply. Let us trust you, obey you, seek after you, and preach to ourselves the truths that you are good and you reign. Praise you, Lord God, as we pray in Jesus' name.